How you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> you made it? The snow didn't keep you away. We were going back and forth this afternoon. Do we cancel? Do we keep it going? And we made the call to keep it going. And so here we are. We're worshiping Jesus. We're going to hear his word. Um, glad you guys made it. We're going to uh, be in the book of Proverbs tonight, continuing our series where we're, we're learning and we're living. We're learning how to live well in, in this world. Um, and we're learning it from God, from the Bible, from the book of Proverbs. And a couple weeks ago, um, Roy was up here, and we talked about God's wisdom and how that applies to money, right? We learned that um, money should be our servant and not our master. Uh, he, he gave the illustration of sometimes we might need to sit our money down and, and remind our money that it serves us and that we serve God, right? The money is not our God. And then last week, we had a, a relationship panel, and we talked about healthy relationships. And we learned that... Um, when, when Jesus is our prize, when Jesus is the focus of our relationships, then we can have healthy relationships in, in every area of life. And tonight, we're going to continue on this theme of applying God's wisdom. We're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about work, like the kind of get a job type of work, not like the Rihanna type of work, right? Um, some of, never mind. Anyway, the real kind of work. And um, as, we, as we talk about that, we're going to put a phrase up here. Um, and this is going to kind of be our, our main phrase that we see tonight, and it's this. It's that we're created to work, but we've chosen disobedience. And so as a result, instead of ruling over the ant, we're learning from it, okay? So we're going to learn about ants tonight, Antology 101, and it's going to be great. Um, and so this phrase is kind of, it's going to work as our outline tonight too. So first we're going to see that we're, we're created to work, that God created us to work. Then second, we're going to see that we've chosen disobedience, we've chosen passivity. And then third, we're going to learn from the ant about three things that the ant does to work hard and how we can apply those to our lives. And so, if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 6 is where we're going to land. Um, I'm going to read Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. It says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So, when I was about 16, year old, 16 years old, I was learning how to drive, right? And starting to drive myself places. And something I learned very quickly was that in order to drive, you need gas. And in order to get gas, you need money. And in order to get money, you need a job, right? And so, as I was, as I was learning this and thinking through this, um, I was talking to my parents about some different job options that they um, that came to mind for them. And my dad told me to reach out to one of his friends who was a construction worker, um, owns a construction company. And he's like, maybe they would have a job for you guys. And so um, so I reached out to him. And they, they said, because you're 16, you can't really do like a lot of jobs because of liability reasons. Um, we don't want you falling off a roof and stuff like that. But you can clean for us. You can clean um, the construction sites. You can use the shop vac. You can do some, some odds and ends jobs. And I was like, I don't know if I want to spend my summer cleaning up after construction workers. But then they're like, yeah, but we'll pay you 10 bucks an hour. And I was like, I'm in. I'm in. 16-year-old, 10 bucks an hour, sign me up. And um, there was a lot, of, a lot of fun times in that and a lot of hard times. And one thing that I remember was there was a day that we were working on um, this kind of renovating an older building. And there's a bunch of ivy on a cement fence around the building. And um, they're like, your job for the day is to take a scraper and start scraping the ivy off of these cement walls. 
And so I got there early in the morning, worked hard all day, and that's not an easy job. If you've ever tried that, I would highly suggest not doing that. Um, but I had a little like paint scraper and was basically scraping this ivy off the wall. And when I got home that night, I was like, okay, I'm tired. Like I'm super worn out, but I'm energized, right? Like I feel good. And, and I, was, I was kind of processing that. It, it became very clear to me that, that like as a man, I was created to work. Like work made me feel alive. It made me come alive. And that's exactly how God designed us from the beginning. In the very beginning of time, um, God designed us to work. And, and so I believe that this sermon matters for us tonight because you and I, as being humans, we, we've been created in the image of God, and as such, we've been created to work. And so if we can understand how and why uh, that God has designed work, then we're going to approach our jobs with a different attitude. We're going to approach our jobs with the right perspective. And so we need God's wisdom to speak into this area uh, because working is a lot more, it's about a lot more than just simply making money. So at the beginning of our key phrase tonight, we're created to work. And we see this from the very beginning. In Genesis, we get the account of God creating the world, right? We see God created plants and animals. He created the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars. And then God created man. He created man. He created woman. And in Genesis 1 and verse 27, we see that, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So at the very beginning of time, mankind gets an identity. Everything else that was created was created by God, but it was not created in God's image. But what we see about mankind is that we've been made in the image of God. And as such, humans are created to work because God is always working. God's always at work. And maybe you would think, yeah, but in Genesis chapter 2, doesn't it say that God rested? Like it says that, that God finished creation and, and he rested. And it does, it does say that. But it's not saying that God like took a nap. If it was saying that God fell asleep, that'd be very theologically troubling for us, would it not? Like if our God sleeps, that's kind of a problem. But what it's saying is, is the author of Genesis is being super, super smart uh, because they're pointing out that that God sitting over his creation is actually a sign of God's authority. See, in the ancient creation accounts of, of all different types of people, there was this like cosmic battle that would take place between the creator gods, and they'd be fighting for authority over their creation. But what we see the author of Genesis doing is he says there was no cosmic battle over creation. God created everything, and he sat down in authority over it. And so that's what it's, what it's talking about by God resting. And as God has that authority, as he actively created the world and then sits down in authority over it, we see that, that we have now been made in his image, right? And that we're created to work. We're created to work. And so this is clear again in Genesis 2 and verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so in this verse, we see that not only is mankind created in God's image, mankind was also given a job at the very beginning to work. He says, you are going to go into this garden, and your job is to work it and to keep it. And what's even more interesting about this fact is that, that God told man to work before sin ever entered the world. At this point, sin was not in the world, and God says, Adam, I have a job for you. Go work and keep the garden. And sometimes I think we're 
under this assumption that, um, that work is, is a curse, that the only reason we have to work is because sin entered the world, sin made everything hard, but what we see in Genesis 2 is that work is not a curse. Work is a good thing that was designed by God, something that he gave us before sin was even in the picture. So we're created to work. But, City Light you, as we know, the bad news is we've chosen to disobey, right? We're created to work, but we've chosen disobedience. And right after God told the man to work the garden and to keep the garden, God gives a clear command in, in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2 of Genesis. He says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so we see this. This is a clear instruction, right, from God. He's like, you can eat of all of the trees except this one. And we know the story. What happened? Genesis chapter 3 comes, and we find that the serpent comes, and the serpent deceives the woman into um, taking the fruit of the tree and eating it. He he deceives her into doubting the word of God. She takes the fruit, she eats it, and she gives some to her husband, who's just standing seemingly passively by not trying to stop her. And what does he do? He takes and he eats the fruit as well. And just like that, sin enters the world. The man and the woman choose disobedience. The, the woman chooses to not believe God's word, and the man chooses passivity. And so through the disobedience of these two people, then we get the curse of sin. So I want to read it. God gives this, this reality to the man and the woman. He starts with the woman. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then to the man, God says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now check this out. He says, In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so for the, for the topic of, or for the sake of our topic tonight of work, I want to focus on the curse that God gives the man. Specifically, he tells the man, you're going to have to work the ground and it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to make you sweat. There's going to be thorns. And it's going to continue that way until you die. So it's not super good news, right? Not encouraging. But we have to understand that work in itself is not bad. In fact, it's really good because we see, again, that God gave work before sin. But the difficulty is that because of our sin, work has now become difficult. It's become painful. And quite frankly, it's not always fun. And I know this because I've talked to you about some of your jobs, right? Jobs are not always fun, but we're created to work, and yet we've chosen disobedience. And so now um, is where we're really going to dig into to how we can work in a way that honors God, and, and we're going to hear some good news. So the last part of the main idea is this. As a result, we're learning from the ant instead of ruling over it. So when, when God created mankind, like we talked about, he gave us a job, um, and part of that job is found back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Um, he says that, that the man should have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So part of that original job that God gave mankind was to have dominion over the rest of creation, right? Over all of these other creatures. And I share that to share with you how humbling our passage in Proverbs is tonight. Because Proverbs 6.6, 6, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. And so, so right off the bat, we're given a major pride check, right? We're in this wisdom literature. We're reading it. We're like, oh yeah, we're going to learn so much. We're so wise. And God's like, uh, you actually need to learn from the ant. And it's like, okay, that's humbling, right? Like, it's humbling to say that we have to learn from this little creature that we should be ruling over. And so how deep is our depravity? How much of a sluggard have we become as humans? Well, so much so that we have to learn from the very things that we were originally given dominion over. And so, because Proverbs tells us to look at the ant and to learn from the ant, we're going to spend the rest of our time together learning three things from the ant about how to work in a way that honors God. So, welcome to your Snow Day Antology 101 class. Proverbs 6-7. It says, "...without having any chief officer or ruler." And so we're going to, that's kind of like a cliffhanger, right? Like, without having any chief officer or ruler, what? Well, you can read the next verse, but it talks about how ants work hard, right? And we'll get there. But first, we want to focus in on verse 7. And, and it's here that we learn the first truth about how, that we, how we can work in a way that honors God. And it's this. Wise workers have inner motivation. Wise workers have inner motivation. See, in the ant world, there are not any, there's no leaders, right? There's no ruler. There's no chief that's overseeing the whole ant population and, and firing the ants that are late to work or are lazy, right? That's not a thing. But maybe you're like, yeah, but aren't there queen ants? Um, if you are like that, then I would say, good job, because I didn't know that before I started preparing for this. But there are queen ants. But queen ants are not responsible for, for telling other ants where to go. Instead, each ant has an inner motivation that gets them to work. So without having any chief officer or ruler, ants know their roles and they carry them out effectively. So within each ant colony, there are, there's a queen ant, there are male ants, and there are female worker ants. And each of them know their job. The queen, she knows her job. Her job is to lay eggs, to keep the population of the, of the colony high. That's her job, and she's motivated to do that. The male ants are motivated to supply the queen with sperm so that she can make more babies. And then after they do that, they die. Their life is like super sad, right? Super boring for a male ant. But then there's female ants that are born, a lot of female ants, and these are the female worker ants. And their job, their motivation is to care for the young, to protect their colony, and to go out in search of food and the necessities for their ant colony. And I learned about the inner motivation of ants a little bit um, at a certain house I lived in. We were, um, we had just moved into this home. It was in Guatemala, and uh, we kind of didn't know what to expect, but we hadn't really seen any, like, many insects there. Um, but before long, we realized that there were ants in our kitchen. And so we're like, where are these ants coming from? Like, I didn't even know there are ants in this country, but there are, in case you were wondering. And, um... They're coming into our kitchen, right? So we do like a little investigative mission and we find that they're coming through the covers of the outlets in, in our kitchen, but one outlet specifically. They're coming through this one outlet into our kitchen. And so we're like, okay, well, let's spray the outlet. Spray the outlet. They came right back. 
So the spray didn't work, and so our next best option was to go buy duct tape and just tape over the outlet. And so we did that, and it was great. It worked really well um, until they got smart and they showed their inner motivation by going in through a new outlet. They were going in through now the next outlet along the wall. Same thing. So we taped that one. And before you knew it, we had our whole entire kitchen and dining room, all of the outlets, duct tape around the edges. And we finally like defeated these ants. It was amazing. But what I learned from them is that even if we close off one of their entrances, their only entrance seemingly, what do they do? They're motivated to find a new entrance. And as we moved out of that house, we took the duct tape off and there was like dead ants like all along the duct tape that we're trying to get through the tape and we stopped them. So we felt accomplished, but that's not really important to the story. These ants are motivated. They're so motivated that they would find a new point of entry every time we would shut their previous one. And so without having any chief or officer or ruler, they get the job done. And I think it's important to realize that, that they do this thing without having any ruler, right? But we do have a ruler. Ants don't have a chief, but we have Jesus. We have Jesus as our King of Kings, as our Lord of Lords. Jesus is the king of our ant colony, if you will. And so as leaders, we, or as followers of Jesus, we have Jesus as our leader. So if the ants have an undeniable inner motivation without any ruler, how much more should you and I have an inner motivation that drives us to work hard for the glory of God with a ruler, with Jesus as our king. They don't have a leader, but we do. And so with that in mind, the words of Paul in Colossians 3, 23 and 24 show us exactly what our inner motivation should be as Christians to work. He says this, he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, because Jesus has rescued us from our sin, because he's rescued us from our laziness as sluggards, now we, as new creations in him, can work hard at whatever we do. Because we know that we're not working for men. We're working for the Lord. We're serving the Lord Christ. See, whatever you do, you're serving the Lord Christ as a believer. And so what this means is that whether you work at a church or an accounting firm or a hospital, or a coffee shop, or anywhere else, the correct inner motivation, the thing that should be driving you to work hard, to work with a positive attitude, to work in a way that glorifies God, is an attitude that says, I'm going to work hard as unto the Lord. Because I realize that even in this job, regardless of what it is, I'm serving the Lord Christ. Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You're serving the Lord Christ. So wise workers have inner motivation, and that motivation is Jesus, is service to our king. First part of verse 8, it says this, she prepares her bread in summer. So the second truth that we learned from the ants about how we work in a way that honors God is this, wise workers put in effort. Wise workers put in effort. See, like it or not, um, work takes effort. Even though work is a good thing that's been given to us by God, it's not always fun. It's not always easy, as we talked about earlier. But wise workers do not shy away from the difficulty that work requires. 
wise workers put in the effort. So on this cold night, right, it's snowing out. I want you to imagine the 4th of July, right? It's coming. I promise you it's coming, right? It's sunny. Maybe you've been out in the pool. You smell the, the meat that's cooking on the grill. Um, you're ready to blow some fireworks up. And you sit down for a little picnic with your family and friends. And then someone looks down at the plate or someone looks in the chip bag. And who's there? Little ants, right? They've found your picnic. See, why is that? Why is it that ants in summertime seem to go together so much? Well, it's because ants need to eat. Ants need food. And they know where to find it, right? They know that they can find it on your little picnic. So not only, though, are they wise about finding food, they're also ready to put in the effort that it takes to get the food where it needs to go. They don't have vehicles, right? They don't have grocery carts to to take their food home in. Instead, they carry their food, and they carry it together. Ants can carry 50 times their weight. They can carry things that are 50 times heavier than them. I think we have a little picture. I think it's Photoshopped, but (laughs) we get the idea, right? Like, look how strong those little things are. They're working together. But they can carry things that are 50 times their their weight. And I know they don't weigh anything, but that's like a 170-pound person carrying something that weighs 8,500 pounds, right? Like, unless you're Abby, you can't do that, right? I got you. But here's what we learned from this. Ants work hard, right? Ants work hard. They put in the effort that is needed to get the food from where they find it to where it's going to benefit their colony, their fellow ants, And so the question for us is, are we willing to put in the effort that it takes to to provide for ourselves, to provide for our friends, for our families, um, and even for the future? See, if if the ant just says, I'm just going to sit around, I'm going to do nothing, I'll maybe play some video games and just hope the food comes to me, then what's going to happen? They're going to die, right? The food's not going to just magically appear to their ant colony whole thing. So they have to put in the effort that it takes to get the food. In Proverbs 12:11, it, it speaks t- clearly to this very thing. It says, the one who works his land will have plenty of food. The one who works his land will have plenty of food. But whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. So the question for us is, is which one of those people are we? Are we the, the ones who are working our land and, and are going to experience plenty of food? Are we working hard? Are we putting in the effort? Or are we chasing fantasies of of video game worlds or sexual escapades and, and thinking that, that those things are going to satisfy us? Are we wise or are we lacking sense? And maybe you're thinking, okay, like I'll, I'll start working hard when I start dating or when I get married or when I have kids, but I don't have to really work hard right now. I would say that in these formative years of our lives, we are developing habits. We're, we're developing character and we're we're getting into rhythms, right? And so if laziness and self-indulgence are the habits that we're developing now, and we're thinking that, oh, it'll just change when when I get married or when we have kids, it's not going to just magically change. See, wise workers put in effort today. And the beautiful hope that we have as Christians is that we're not alone in this, right? The hope that we have is that God is a wise worker. God puts in the effort. And while we absolutely need to to put in the effort required of us in work, we also need 
to realize that God is both our model and he's our helper. In John 5 and verse 17, Jesus is being accused of working on the Sabbath. And, and he responds and he says, My father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. So we see that God is always working. So where we chose passivity, right? We chose passivity in the garden. We continue to choose passivity. Jesus chose action. Where we chose to, to sit in our laziness, Jesus chose to do the work of his father. Jesus put in the effort it takes to live a perfect life, to die for our sins on the cross. And, and now he offers us himself through faith. He put in the work and now he gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to all who will trust in him. See, Jesus' effort paid for our lack of effort. And so now, as a result, we get to work hard, and we get to work hard with the right inner motivation and with the right power. See, we're not working hard alone anymore. Instead, the Spirit of God is working in us, and He's working through us. So together with Him, we get to, to put in the effort, right? Regardless of the form our work takes. So wise workers have an inner motivation. Wise workers put in effort. And finally, wise workers prepare for what's coming. Wise workers prepare for what's coming. In the second half of verse 8, it says this. It says, The ant gathers her food in harvest. Gathers her food in the harvest. So in the summertime, when the ants are showing up... Um, they're not only getting enough food for their colony for that day or even for that week. Instead, what they're doing is they're preparing for what's coming. They're gathering their food in the harvest or in the fall season because they know that winter is coming. They know winter's coming, and in the winter, there's significantly fewer Fourth of July picnics for them to attend, right? It's going to be a lot harder for them to get the food. And so ants prepare today for what's coming tomorrow. In the same way, wise workers are those who, who prepare for what's coming. And I know that like, I'm not always a wise worker, but one thing that God convicted me of years ago is that I need to start preparing well for the future, start preparing well for the future family. And, and I think that's what he wants us to, to understand tonight through this verse, that, that we have to prepare well, yes, financially, yes, in our jobs, but I think it goes a lot more um, it goes a lot further than just simply preparing well financially for the future. See, in life, it's inevitable that we're going to go through difficult seasons. Ecclesiastes, the next book after Proverbs, more wisdom literature, it says in chapter 3 that, that there's a season for everything under the sun. Just as sure as this winter is going to end and the snow is going to melt and the flowers are going to bud and there's going to be spring, praise the Lord, so too, we're going to face different seasons in our lives, right? It says that, that there will be a time to weep and there will be a time to laugh, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time for war and for peace, a time to break down and a time to build up. See, seasons in our lives are inevitable. And like the ant, a wise worker prepares for what's coming. And there's a lot of ways to, to apply this truth, but um, I want to share, share two specific ways that um, an ant applies this truth, to say it that way. Um, two things that we can learn from the ant. The first is this. We must prepare for unfruitful seasons. We must prepare for unfruitful seasons. What I mean by that is this. Winter is a time where we look outside and everything seems to be dead, right? There's no leaves on the trees. The grass is brown when we can see it, or there's 
snow on top of it. Everything's just cold. It's dreary. And sometimes that's what it's going to be like in our lives. But like the ant, we can prepare for the unfruitful seasons while we're still in the fruitful seasons. See, during the harvest, we can gather food that's going to sustain us through the winter. And what this looks like practically is this. We must, as Christians, be filling our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. We must be storing up and and protecting the promises of God and the truths of the gospel so that when the hard times come, we have truth that we can hold on to, truth that's deep inside of us. And we see this in, in the life of David, right? David is a guy who oftentimes was running for his life. He was um, oftentimes feeling like God had forsaken him. The people that were closest to him were trying to kill him. And he says that he rejoices at the word of God as one who finds great treasure. He rejoices as, in God's word as one who finds great treasure. Why? Because David goes through seasons where he feels abandoned, seasons where he is literally on the run for his life. But in every single psalm that David writes, where where he's pouring out his heart to God and saying, God, why have you forsaken me? God, why have you abandoned me? Why does it feel like there's no one left that's on my side? He ends all of those psalms declaring the truth that he's been hidden in his heart, that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is present, even when it seems like he's not. And so what was able to, to sustain David in the hard seasons was the truth of God that was hidden in his heart during the easier seasons. See, David, like a wise man, prepared well for the season that he was not yet in. He prepared well for the future. And so too, you and I, we have to realize that difficult seasons will come. Winter is inevitable, but we can prepare well for those seasons as we hold on to the truth of God's word and plant it deep in our hearts. So that's the first way. The second specific way that, that we can apply this is, is to say this. The truth that is in us is meant to help others also. The truth that is in us is meant to help others also. One of the most fascinating things I learned about ants yesterday is that ants have two stomachs. They have two stomachs. And here's why. One stomach is their, their personal stomach. It holds all of their food um, that they consume and digest for themselves. Their second stomach is a stomach that shares, that, that holds food that is meant to be shared with other ants. So if, if some ant is hungry and needing food, this ant that has food in their shareable stomach can go to the other ant and share the food with the other ant. It's kind of disgusting, but it's actually kind of cool also, right? Because I think God, in his wisdom, made ants to teach us a really cool lesson. See, the truth that we feast on, the Word of God that we study and that we rejoice in is like food, right? It sustains us. But, and, and we need the food to survive personally, right? As we just talked about, we need the Word of God to be in us to survive personally, but we're not meant to keep it all for ourselves. Instead, the truth that is in us is meant to help others also. So as Christians, we should have the same mindset as the ant, that we have one full stomach full of food, full of truth to share with others. And so, so in your jobs, in your dorms, in your classrooms, there are most likely some people that are going through difficult times right now. There's probably people that are going through a hard season that they didn't prepare for, 
And many of those people could be, many of those people could be unbelievers, right? People that have, have never bowed the knee to Jesus and people who would have no idea what God would speak into their situation. They have no hope. But I wonder if that's the reason that God's placed you in their lives. Because, because God knows that, that you are at that job or at that school or in that dorm because he wants to use you to speak the word of God to these people that are struggling. You have a stomach full of truth, full of wisdom, full of the spirit of God that you can now share with someone who's maybe never heard it. What if all of the truth that God's placing in you in nights like this and in your city groups and in the, the time um, when you're alone with the Lord is meant, yes, to help you, yes, to sustain you, but also to help others, to come out of your second stomach, to say it like that, and to give life to someone who's desperate for it. And I'm willing to bet that there's people that God's placed around you even now that, that he wants to minister to through you. And so I would ask you, if you, if you want to be used by God in that, like, ask him, God, who are these people that you've placed around me? Which one of them are struggling? How can I be an encouragement to these people? And look around, right? Like, it's possible that if we, if we go with the mindset of, God, I want to be used by you. I want to speak truth to someone who's around me. And we look around, that he's going to show us those people. And the amazing thing is that he's going to go with us in it. We're not alone. So you have food to share with other people. You have truth to share with other people. So don't keep it to yourself. As we close, um, we're not the only ones that are preparing for what's coming. See, in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, the truth is that we are not always wise workers. We can, we can learn what it takes to be a wise worker. We can practice wise wisdom, wise working, but we're not always wise workers, and Jesus is. See, Jesus is now working in heaven to prepare a place for us. And this is such good news because even though we chose disobedience, even though we chose passivity and we've, we've become sluggards, God still came to us in grace. God sent Jesus to forgive our disobedience and to give us his perfect record of obedience. And so now, through faith in him, through repentance and faith, we have the hope of eternity in the kingdom of God forever. That God's preparing a place for us, and he's promised to bring us to that place to be with him. We get Jesus forever. And that is only possible, not because of our work, but because of Jesus' work. See, Jesus, work, Jesus, he works perfectly for you and I. And now you and I get to experience the benefit of that work for all of eternity. Amen? Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you that this is truth. We thank you that, Lord, you want us to be wise workers. And we, we honor you as we work hard in a way that, that um, glorifies you. But we recognize that all of our, all of our good work falls short, and yet we recognize in Jesus that he worked perfectly. Jesus, we thank you that, that you um, did the will of the Father in every situation and that you, you died and you rose from the dead. God, you've forgiven our disobedience and our sluggardish ways, and you've given us your life, and we get to experience the reward of your work forever. So we thank you for that. Pray that that would be our motivation 
to serve you and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And.